Come along with us as we explore the broad world of preservation and the work being done to preserve, interpret, and save our past in a 21st century world. From aquaculture to historic foodways to forensic modeling, we're talking weekly with experts from across the globe. This is your host, Nick Redding. Welcome to PreserveCast. Hi, this is Nick Redding, and you're listening to a special edition of PreserveCast. Normally, I ask the questions and our guests tell the story. But on this episode, we're going to flip the script, and I'm going to get a chance to tell you a preservation story. As many of you know, I'm the president and CEO of Preservation Maryland, a position I've held for the past eight years. Prior to that, along with running a historic site in Virginia, I was the deputy director for advocacy at what was then the Civil War Trust in what is today known as the American Battlefield Trust. It was a fantastic job I took right out of college and helped me grow as a preservationist and experience a full range of nonprofit experiences, from grant writing and land preservation to grassroots advocacy. I had the opportunity to work on campaigns to save many important battlefields associated with that war, but none were as impactful on my early career as the campaign to prevent the licensure of a casino on the doorstep of the Gettysburg Battlefield. I was far from alone in the fight and went into the battle alongside a crew of dedicated colleagues at the trust and local, state, and national partner organizations. But given my age, looking back, I was given an inordinate amount of responsibility. And I suppose, just as President Lincoln once explained, when the occasion is piled high with difficulty, we must rise with the occasion. So here's the story of one of my first preservation advocacy battles and the hard-won lessons I learned and continue to use to this day. First things first, I've always loved Gettysburg. It is for me in many ways where my love of historic places first began. Oh sure, I love the history of my hometown, but there was something special about Gettysburg. During college, I had the chance to serve as a park ranger at Gettysburg for several seasons, and during those humid summers of interpretation, my love only grew stronger. What makes it so special? That could take an entire podcast, but in brief, I think it's the right mixture of story, place, and legacy. It's here on this expansive and well-preserved landscape, you can argue that the destiny of our young nation hung in the balance. It's also here that a profound human story unfolded. It was on this very ground where thousands of people's lives changed forever. Some as civilians caught in the crossfire others by the piercing hot lead of a dull bullet, and many others by having seen a friend succumb to that horrendous fate. Oliver Wendell Holmes, a Civil War veteran and later Supreme Court justice, perhaps described the experience of that generation best in writing when he wrote, quote, We have shared the incommunicable experience of war. We have felt, we still feel, the passion of life to its top. In our youth, our hearts were touched with fire. The legacy also endures. It's here that the death knell of slavery begins to ring louder. It's here that the United States Army gains the advantage and holds the field. It's here where in late November of 1863, a war-weary President Lincoln returns to offer words that still speak to the eternal struggle and challenge laid before every generation of Americans. And quote, that from these honored dead, we take increased devotion to that cause 
for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, and that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. End quote. That's powerful stuff. It's a legacy and a place extremely worthy of preservation if there ever was one. It's also arguably where American historic preservation can trace some of its foundational roots. In 1896, in U.S. v. Gettysburg Electric Railway Company, the U.S. Supreme Court waxed poetic about the value of this place and for the first time established that historic preservation was a public purpose consistent with our Constitution. Writing for the majority, Justice Rufus W. Peckham noted that, and quote, the Battle of Gettysburg was one of the great battles of the world. The existence of the government itself and the perpetuity of our institutions depended on the result. Peckham continuing, then asks and answers. Can it be that the government is without power to preserve the land and properly mark out the various sites upon which this struggle took place? Can it not erect the monuments provided for by these acts of Congress or even take possession of the field of battle in the name and for the benefit of all the citizens of the country for the present and for the future? Such a use seems necessarily not only a public use, but one so closely connected with the welfare of the republic itself as to be within the powers granted Congress by the Constitution for the purpose of protecting and preserving the whole country. End quote. So here at Gettysburg, we have a through line of American history and a powerful argument for preservation. And here too at Gettysburg, a local businessman did attempt to secure a license on three separate occasions to establish a casino at various locations around the battlefield. For those who have never visited, the Gettysburg battlefield sprawls around the charming borough of Gettysburg. There are many places where conflict occurred that are not protected by the park or that abut private property. Balancing use in these areas has and always will be a challenge. But intensive commercial and arguably crass use, like a casino, have drawn the ire of preservationists almost since the guns fell silent. And the passion of these preservationists only grew stronger in the face of the casino question. After being turned down in 2006, many suspected the business interests focused on this concept would find another site elsewhere in Pennsylvania. But in 2010, the battle would flare up again. It was during this second battle that I would find my place at the table. Now, here from a storytelling standpoint, I'm going to divert from a blow-by-blow -blow listing of facts, events, dates, and diary entries, lest I put you to sleep. Suffice it to say, it was a really long and arduous campaign, not culminating until the Pennsylvania Gaming Control Board made their final decision on April 14th, 2011. The odd irony of the date was not lost on civil historians, as on that same day, Lincoln met his untimely fate 146 years prior 
and which many consider the metaphorical end of the war. But perhaps more valuable than a review of each skirmish of the casino fight are the lessons learned, lessons which I think might be useful for others wishing to save places that matter to them and their communities. First, and most important, build a coalition of likely and unlikely supporters. Coming to the fight as an outsider, we needed true, rooted local support. In that, we succeeded mightily. Susan Paddock and her husband Jim were the backbone of the local movement. In both Susan and Jim, we gained two amazing preservationists who taught me as much about small-town politics as they did about humility, justice, and grace. I left the fight not only as a better preservationist, but a better person thanks to their influence. Those are the kind of people you need, and to them, many hundreds if not thousands of locals flocked. Collectively, they formed a local coalition, No Casino Gettysburg, which was backed up by national groups like the Civil War Trust, National Trust for Historic Preservation, National Parks Conservation Association, and the state-based Preservation Pennsylvania, along with many more. With a core constituency established, you then add interested groups and parties aligned to your mission and purpose. Here we found scores of reenactors, as you might imagine, as well as churches, historians, and other friendlies in the nearby community and beyond. All of that was critical, but one important aspect of the campaign that differentiated it from others was the recruitment of seemingly non-traditional partners. It was here that Veterans for Gettysburg, for example, arose, an ad hoc group of individual vets and big vet organizations, including the American Legion and Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund. Their powerful voice could not be ignored as it echoed from the rotunda of the Pennsylvania Statehouse where they boldly announce their opposition. Second lesson, have fun and use creative strategies to your advantage. Here's a quick but funny example of this in practice. We learned during the campaign that members of the Gaming Control Board and other key decision makers often ate their lunch at a nearby cafeteria. That cafeteria just so happened to allow anyone to sponsor their tray liners. So we paid for them for a month. It was very cheap with a big, beautifully designed graphic that simply said, a Gettysburg Casino? Don't lose your lunch. Say no to the Gettysburg Casino. Another example comes from the amazing video products we created for the campaign, of which we'll include a link in the show notes. Like I suppose on real battlefields, you never know who will end up in your foxhole. For me, this effort led me to meeting the gregarious, kind, and wickedly talented Jeff Griffith. Jeff dreamed big and organized a star-studded video that eventually was entered as part of the testimony against the casino. Ken Burns, David McCullough, Sam Waterston, Susan Eisenhower, Stephen Lang, and Matthew Broderick all made appearances, set to the stirring score of John Williams, who donated portions of his catalog for free use. It blew the socks off people and still gives me goosebumps to watch and just think about. Now, you may not be able to pull Ken Burns, we can't all, but there are celebrities everywhere and from everywhere. And finding a place to use their voice to amplify your message 
can be very powerful. The third lesson, have a plan. This one sounds pretty basic, but you'd be surprised how often advocacy battles are left to chance. It was here that my boss at the time, Jim Campy, and my colleague, Mary Koik, provided great leadership and encouraged the development of a campaign calendar, which was a week-by-week plan of how we'd work, what tactic we'd use, and what the message would be. It kept us fresh, focused, and moving. It also helped us plan a variety of different efforts, from polls to petitions to press releases. Fourth lesson, use data to your advantage. If you don't have data that backs up your position, you're going to need to get it. If you're making an economic case, have real economic figures. Nowadays, it's even easier to come by, and comparative environmental data is far easier to secure thanks to the recently created CARES tool. Look for a future episode of PreserveCast on it. During this effort, we needed to know how casinos impacted heritage tourism, so we hit the road with an economist and studied the impact on Vicksburg, Mississippi, and I was there for it. Another battlefield that had already fallen to this odd fate. It wasn't pretty economically. And when we had the numbers, we made sure everyone knew. Dollars and cents can sway even those who don't feel the power of place. Our fifth lesson, stay positive. Again, it sounds simple, but when you're up against a well-resourced and difficult adversary, it's tempting to get in the mud. Resist that urge. We kept on message and on brand, and for me, I took my job seriously because I felt like I was speaking for those without a voice, the veterans of the battle who I honestly believe deserved better. That kept me positive internally and externally. Staying above the fray, when all others seemingly can't, lends your cause credibility that you could never purchase. Sixth lesson, be an honest broker. In tough battles, it's easy to fall victim to changing your position midstream or failing to even have a conversation with the opposition party before the battle ensues. Here again, I urge you, before you get to a local, state, or national fight, reach out and ask for a meeting to discuss the proposal with those making it. It will be uncomfortable and may not yield anything, but will give you the ability to honestly say you tried to avoid a fight and to understand their position. I've put this into practice many times since Gettysburg, and although it didn't work back then, it has worked many times since. For me, it may be the most powerful piece of advice here. Sometimes peace can be brokered through open, honest conversations. Sometimes it can't, and if not, Follow all the other advice I gave you. These are clearly far from the only lessons I learned, but I hope they paint the picture of the experience I had and the lessons that I took from the field to the challenges that I face now in the present. As for Gettysburg, the business interest tried again for that casino license in 2017 and failed once more. For now, the field is safe from casino encroachment but still remains threatened by a bevy of other challenges, just as it always has been. What does this mean for your site or place you love? It means that if Gettysburg and places like it require eternal vigilance, so does your community. Speaking out on behalf of places that matter to their communities and to those who went before is a powerful calling, and it's an important task. 
we're not just saving places because of just some inherent value, but the equally important value they bring to our current lives and communities, be that historic, economic, environmental, or societal. That's the reason, in a sense, PreserveCast exists, to connect these dots and shine a light on how it's playing out across America and beyond, and to give you lessons, advice, and opportunities to take those stories back to your communities. I wish you well, and from all of us here at PreserveCast, I want to thank you for joining us to learn more about my own path to preservation. Until next time, keep on preserving. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to preservecast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening and keep on preserving.